if it was up to you to design what that education process mm -hmm. for humans would be, and I'm not just saying, you know, uh, specifically that age, right. you know, from zero on, um, that would you choose to put children in classrooms in parallel rows for six, seven hours a day, um, staring ahead where the the research, again, whether it's valid or not, where research um, claims that the most common utterance of a student is yes and no. Right. Okay. Um, would you choose that model? I would for two or three hours a day. Not for the whole day. Okay. But, so why not for the whole day? Well, I mean, and, and I think, you know, and again, I'm thinking more in terms of, say, our jobs in a high school. I think in elementary school, there should be a lot more activity. You know, it, it, it's one of the things I like about where I send my kid to daycare mm -hmm. is they play a lot. But there is a structured lesson time in mm -hmm. the morning where they spend, I don't know, it's hard to judge, but somewhere between 20 and 45 minutes where the kids sit in rows in their desk. They listen to the teacher. The teacher talks about letters. They point to stuff around the room. The kids learn to just track a conversation. It's really what's happening. Like Whether he remembers all the letters or not is actually less important than he learns to listen for a little bit of time, that he can track where the teacher's pointing, all that sort of stuff. How, he's, how old are you? He's three. Okay. He's three. And I think that you know that stuff, learning that early on, that's good. I think that your ability Why? to play. Why do you think it's good? Because it's good practice. Because to you what? need to be able to pay attention. You need well, to be pay able attention to, to what? Why? Why? And, and I'm I'm yeah. I'm intentionally. Yeah. I, why do you think it's important to learn to pay attention? Because I think most people will eventually settle into paying attention on their own. The problem is, by the time you've done it, paying attention to what though? To other people. Why? What do you mean why? Well, okay. So, this the thing I worry about is this sounds that primarily the focus here is conformity. and No, I think it's learning. It's being able to learn from other people. And one of the great things about hands-on stuff, about, about inquiry-based or, you know, let the kid choose sort of a Montessori method or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that, that's great to build on a kid's natural curiosity and motivation and, and all the rest and then support it and teach them some skills as they go. I do think, and this is why I'm, you know, I don't know, I'm probably, I want to say one of the few teachers that still do a legitimate lecture in high school sometimes. It's not every day, it's certain lessons at certain times, that there are certain times where you, you can learn a lot fast if you can just listen to someone else. Or it's like reading. You know, one of the number one struggles that we deal with, say, for the reading standardized tests that my students take, mm -hmm. is not that they can't read. It's that they cannot read for any prolonged period of time. They can read one page and they're fine. Make it five and half of them fizzle out. They can't read five pages. I'm not saying they can't read. I'm saying they can't pay attention to it. Now, could they learn these things elsewhere? Yeah. Could they do it slower? Sure. Could they discover it on their own? Yeah. But sometimes... It's really, really good to just be able to sit down and listen to someone or but read a thing. Why is it important for everyone or a good number of people to be able to read five pages at a time? I mean, I, I'm not going to tell. I, I, I'm in a weird place where I don't necessarily think school should be compulsory to quite the way it is. So I'm not going to. 
and I'm not trying to not answer your question. I'm just I'm not sure that everyone should have to do it. Well, it's, I just think like if I'm making the decision for me or for my kids, I want you to be able to listen to a person who knows something, or maybe they don't, but they have an interesting way to think about it, and I want you to be able to engage in it and listen, even if you don't like it sometimes. Like one of the most important parts of becoming an adult, and we can argue that this shouldn't exist either, but is just learning to suck it up and get through some of these more tedious things. But sometimes they have purpose. And the kid who learns to do that when they're 10, as opposed to the person who develops it naturally by the time they're 26, the kid at 10 has this huge head start because you have all these extra boring but informative opportunities, you know? That's why I say, like, everybody, and I'd say this to you before, I say this all the time, everyone should take an English class and a math class. It doesn't have to be literature-based. We can read a newspaper, read a comic book. You have to be able to read and write and speak, and you need to be able to do arithmetic and basic algebra first part of geometry like after that all the rest of high school is optional okay i would agree with a big chunk of that but see here okay so here i I may sound like i'm coming across as rather strident or even rude that every time you say something i'm asking you to yeah um, you know to justify that belief the reason i do that is (laughs) because i do that with myself all the time right okay so I have, I probably have a, a reputation for being argumentative. Um, I've heard, people have actually either said, I've overheard them or they've said it to my face, oh, Jim, he just likes arguing. And I go, well, actually, you're missing the point. <laughs> yes, but. <laughs> Here's the thing. What you don't really know is that I'm enlisting you. You're um, an unknowing recruit in the debate going on in my head. (laughs) And by the way, I will preface this with that one of the worst phrases I think that we have in this country, in our culture, is that there's two sides to every story. There's multiple sides. There's infinite sides. Um, (laughs) And um, so we always, I, I hate binary thinking. Okay. But anyways, picture this. I don't just have like, the good angel and the bad angel right. arguing in my head. I have multiple ones going all the time. The person I question most is me. Right. And that's healthy. Well, I intentionally, if it's I start believing healthy. something, I immediately go, two things. One, why do I believe that? Yeah. And then, why shouldn't I believe it? Now, it's kind of hard to be really good at carrying on that debate just inside your own head. It's like playing chess with yourself. Right. Because as much as I want to pretend like I don't know what I'm going to do on my next move, I know what I'm going to do on my next move. Right. I'm going to spin the board and I'm going to do this. You fall into um, uh, confirmation bias and also availability bias, um, which are two of the most dangerous things in our culture. So I enlist other people. So that's why I have this annoying reputation to say things, say, on Facebook, which is stupid, um, that, you know, people automatically assume it's my personal belief and that I'm criticizing theirs. I'm going, no, here's an idea. How did you arrive at your position so that I can better understand why I'm at mine? My own, or change it, yeah. And change it, or maybe I'll change yours. And even if I change yours, I want to understand why I changed yours. It's one of the the greatest... And saddest ironies in in schools in the last few years, they've really pushed the idea of, uh, at least in English class, maybe in history too, the Socratic seminar. Mm -hmm. Put kids in circles, and everybody's got their own little inner circle, outer circle, or big circle, whatever. You know, it it doesn't matter. Padillas, Um, yeah. And and the whole 
the whole thing is supposed to be using the actual Socratic method, but it almost never is. And so we do this once or twice a year in my class just because I want them to see how it works. And then I move on because, well, I think it's interesting. We can do this in other ways that require less time or less structure. Mm -hmm. And we, we do a lot of discussion. But his entire idea was that you can both teach and argue through questions. You know, 90% questions. And you go back, he didn't write anything, right? Yeah. There's, he thought writing was awful the way we might think, I don't know, kids having Chromebooks or whatever, whatever it may be. But if you read the character of Socrates and all of Plato's works, he just questions and questions and questions. And then you listen to teachers that really love the Socratic seminar, whether that they love the method. Watch as they get started doing something and watch kids ask them a few genuine hard questions about what's happening in the classroom. Mm -hmm. and they hate it. Well, the yeah. teachers who love the activity the most actually hate the, 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 the theory or the, you know, the cause of it the most, and it's because you don't, I don't want you to question what we're doing. Right. But literally, the kid who asked you the toughest question about why we're doing this has already figured out what you were trying to teach him. Right. And therefore... What's the problem? You start feeling useless. Right. Right. The problem with schools is we're only interested in answers, and we're only interested in right answers. Um, I'll sit in a classroom and um, I'll, I'll watch a teacher go, okay, let's go over the homework. Who's got the answer to three? Hand goes up, maybe. They might have to call on someone to uh, um, pull the answer out and someone will go, 19. Oh, no, okay, who else? Now, my inclination is always to go, how, you how did 19? you get that 19? <laughs> yeah, that should because be the question. probably, and this sounds so cliche Thomas Edison, but... I want to know how you got that because I bet you that's going to be more informative than the person that either cheated yeah. or just knows one way to do things. Right. Um, well, and you also you can't correct the mistake if you don't find where that mistake was. Right. You know. But um, I also understand fully where the teacher's coming from because there's a clock on the wall. Yeah. There I've is got a, timeline. a huge amount of syllabus to cover. There's a lesson plan for the day. And no matter how much the teacher would love to get in a great discussion about how did you get 19, you know, they don't have time to do it because how we measure the results is by getting right answers. To me, that's immoral. Yeah. I mean, that's not just like, oh, it's better than nothing at all or better than any alternatives that we might be limited in imagining. Yeah. It's, to me, it's immoral. You say no to current, present learning in the hopes of leaving time for future learning. You know, right. a, what is it, a bird in the hand, it's worth two in the bush? <laughs> like, just, that's your moment. I mean, and, and I, I, this could be where I am in my career, but I think the worst part of my job is grading essays. And it's not because I hate grading them, I just have too many and I actually read them. Yeah. I average eight minutes, eight to nine minutes of paper. And if you assign mm -hmm. 100, 120 mm -hmm. paper, like, I don't have that kind of time, you know, so I end up pulling two all-nighters in a row and I yep. finish them right before you give it back. It's miserable. I don't mind reading five. I just... Become you know. a math teacher. It's much easier. <laughs> well, become a PE teacher is what I'm going to do. <laughs> ooh, ooh, I wasn't even um, going to go there. That's, I'm going to get my cousin on here soon. He's a PE teacher in Maryland. He's a brilliant guy, very smart, might be an admin at some point. He would be good at it, but we have that argument all the time. But it's that that's the worst part of my job, the most stressful part of my job, is figuring out how to get things done. 
And big part of this is I teach 11th grade where all of your English standardized tests in the state are in 11th grade. Right. We have a writing test in March. Got two that days. coming up in March. We have a and reading then test in May. And then you yep. know, a bunch of my classes have an AP test in May as well. Mm-hmm. And so I always feel like I'm on this timeline of... You know, I've got to get these things done. And whether we actually read all of the books or some of the books or whatever, like there's a set of skills or sort of a process that I have in my head I'm trying to get through. And the most stressful thing I deal with is how do I get through it without having to do that too many times. Without right. saying, that's great, that's great. But hang on, we got to do the next thing. Where you're not selling too much of your soul. Right. And yeah. so sometimes we just hang out and talk. And sometimes I say, you know what? Somebody write that down. And if we have time later this week, we'll come back mm-hmm. to it. But we got to go. And that stresses me out more than any other part of my job, is figuring out how to manage a timeline with the amount of things that, one, I'm supposed to teach, and then, you know, 1A, how many things I want to teach. Well, true. And so let me flip this around. What are the goals of your students in each of those classes? To, you know, well, it depends on the kid, depends on the class. I mean... We could probably create sort of a, a, a median or average sort of answer for each, say, AP or academic or whatever. Right. Um, but, I mean, actually, for AP, I think it would be fairly safe to assume to pass the exam. I want an A. Okay. I want a three or higher or four or higher on the exam. I want to go to a certain college, and I want to make a lot of money. Okay. So doesn't that simplify That's your 85% task? 85% of those kids. You, could, you shouldn't be losing any sleep in that class. Yeah, but they're just wrong. Teach, teach to the, the test. But they're wrong. How are they wrong? They're wrong because they're bad goals. <laughs> because the score, the score you get on an AP test when you're 17, but affects it, basically nothing in your life. But it affects something that is very tangible to them. Why aren't you going along with their immediate goals? Because they're wrong. <laughs> because, God. Because the most important things you learn in school aren't the things that are going to be reported on your report card. They're not going to be represented in your transcript. Unless it's a personal interaction with a particular teacher but or a certain subject there. But they're taking that AP class yeah. for a very specific purpose. Yeah. You don't need to take the class for that, though. But they're taking it. Well, that's their fault. That's because, I mean, you've got a million YouTube very videos. condescending and, toward no, the and judgment I, well, of these young adults. I mean, some of that is honest and some of that is, you know, <laughs> well, what's okay. in my glass. Yes, but, we, we can um, go through life. But no, making it, a, you know judgments of other people's, you know, judgment of their their goals, their um, agency, their maturity, and all of that, but we're still talking about people. Sure. And we're imposing and, our... And I, I explain it to them. I explain it to them in that class in the first week of school. Um, you know, I, I put up a picture of the scales of justice, you know, she's blindfolded, she's got the scales, and I say, and on one side, we can go through this class that's going to have all these interesting and thoughtful things to connect to, you know, philosophy and politics and your life and your family and all the rest. And on the other side, I can just deliver the specific skills necessary to get you a high score in your test. And I said, and here's the problem, though. In a great class, you're doing both. But you always have to lean in a direction. In a bad class, you're only doing one or the other. And you could argue that the one who's ignoring the test entirely and doing whatever, that's probably the worst class, even though in the end it might be very interesting, right? You can't ignore the test and the curriculum. Yeah. So I always tell them, you know, we're going to try to keep these things in balance. But if I'm ever in doubt, I'm always going to lean towards things that I think are valuable to you in your life. That will help you when you're 30 or 40 or 50. Not that I know what will help me at 40 or 50 either. That's just guesswork. Wait, I can uh, do that. Right. But, you know, and I, I just say, but 
if we're doing that right, and if you play along, you ask questions, you do the work, you know, you, we're going to be doing the other piece along with it. But when we hit points for the first three quarters of a school year, and it's got to be one or the other, I'm almost always going to go towards the thing that has personal, applicable value to you. And then as we get into the last month before the exam, I will always lean in favor of the exam. And so when they say, well, what are we doing this for? I can tell them anything I want. Yeah. And my test scores are good, and the kids have, are happy afterwards. So in a qualitative way, I'd like to think I'm doing great. <laughs> but okay. not every kid in the room is happy with that either. Though. Well, yeah, and not I discovered that years ago. That. So a number of years ago, I was teaching summer school geometry. Okay. Um, I dabble in math, even though my first love is literature and English and linguistics. Um, but uh, math is easy. Um, that's why I would say math teachers, yeah. and they know they have it easy compared to an English teacher that's oh, I, supposed to be reading essays. I love when mutual friends of ours post a picture of like a stack of tests, like I'm grading all night. Yeah, I and, like I just like want to want to like want to throw a Molotov cocktail through your window right now. So, summer school geometry. This was not credit recovery. <laughs> so they're getting ahead. Yeah. Oh God, I walk into the classroom, and I look, and they're all rising eighth graders. We're not talking about rising high schoolers. Yeah. All but two of them were rising eighth graders. And they're all from Brambleton. Nice. I'm going, shit, these guys are smarter than me. How am I going to pull this off? Or they off? will be. Well, <laughs> I, I have age and experience. Yeah. And also I can probably snow most of them into thinking that I'm right. But It's a big part of this job. It was <laughs> the best class I've ever had. Um, but anyways, um, I told them up front, I said... Okay, here's the thing. I know you guys have to take an SOL at the end of this. Um, and um, really, in the six weeks, I think we had six weeks, that we have, we really cannot cover everything that you would normally cover in 190 class yeah. periods during the year. Said, so we are going to cut out some stuff, but I will make sure that you have the skills to figure out that stuff on your own. And... Um, my my conscious decision was mostly solids and circles. We would go somewhat light on because you get a formula sheet, right? And it's just a really matter of plug and chuck. Okay. Yeah, and if you're a smart like, yeah, if you're a smart person, you can figure out half of geometry on your own. Right. So the, my goal based. was to get them good at thinking. Okay. So I thought they got pretty well at that. It was. Um, uh, a very unusual class. More than once an admin came in and left without seeing me in the room. Right. And I would get an email later saying, where are you and what's going on in your classroom? There doesn't seem to be any kind of, you know, education, <laughs> any kind of teaching going on. And I go, well, it wasn't what you would think as teaching. Um, <laughs> during lunch, the kids would skip lunch and come and do magic tricks for each other. Um, the whole thing was focused on uh, thinking out of the box, right. solving puzzles on your own. But anyways, here's my problem, though, and it was the same thing that you did. I was looking for a balance. I can get you through most of the material. You'll pass the class. Right. In fact, you'd probably do pretty well. What I didn't count on is the number of students that had agreements with their, with their parents about getting perfect scores on the SOL, mm. getting 600s. Yeah. Okay. Now, as far as I'm concerned, to make it through school, you just need a 400. Anything over that is pointless. Right, right. Okay? Yeah. It means absolutely nothing. I try to trick kids into high scores because it looks good on paper. Yeah. But... It saves me flack in meetings. <laughs> but otherwise, yeah. Now, most you of your, these kids... Hit your minimum pass. Right. I had matter. some that it was close for all sorts of reasons, but... What do they say in college? Uh, C's get degrees? Yeah. 
Exactly. We have a lot of coworkers who did that. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so I went through the same thing and made some conscious choices, but I did feel really bad because I didn't know about the agreements with the parents right. until after, well, until we got to the SOL, and then some of the students were reminded of what their parents' expectations were didn't match with the decision I'd made for them, right. which was, I really don't care if you get less than a five, or if you get less than a 600. Well, to them it did matter, and some of the bribes were surprising. We are talking about hundreds of dollars, yeah. or really tangible, valuable things, Right. Um, and I didn't know about this, so I felt guilty, so it kind of comes Would down you have made to, a different decision if you had known ahead of time? Yeah, because... I, what I wasn't doing was taking into consideration the goals of my students. And this gets back to the morality of it, is we decide what the goals are, and we hardly ever take into account what the goals of the students are. Yeah. We think we know what's best for them. Now, this does come to a question, which comes to the unschooling thing, yeah. um, the tension between schooling and school unschooling. So, schooling is based on that we know what's good for the kid mm -hmm. and we alone okay now we have the strength of law and also the backing of parents you know on this because parents think we know what's best but that completely discounts the life of the child and is that moral 